Happy New Year. It is fantastic to see you all this morning. If you're new here, if this is your first time, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor at New Life. At the end of our service here in the lobby area, I'll be downstairs with some of our pastors, some of our staff. If this is your first time or if you've been here for a while but I've never met you, I would love to meet you before you head out. And so um, I hope to see you downstairs. Uh, If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. Uh, We're beginning a new teaching series here, sermon series on prayer, cultivating a life with God. Prayer is the most important activity we can engage in. And as Henry Nouwen has said, prayer is not a pious decoration of life, but it is the breath of human existence, which is to say that if you are having a hard time breathing spiritually, if you're suffocating, if you're lacking joy and peace, really the question that we need to examine is how is our prayer life? How are we, are we really giving ourselves to prayer? Because when we give ourselves to prayer, God breathes in us his life, breathes in us his breath. And this is what we are invited to. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about different aspects of prayer, different ways of praying in the hopes that we would be equipped and inspired to have a life with God, that as individuals and as the the people of God together here in this local church family, that we would have a life with God. And our text this morning, I believe, is the most, uh, is the best way to start the new year because what Jesus is going to show us and tell us today through his gospel, the promises are still staggering. And I don't know if there's a better way to uh, begin our new year. So let's go to God in prayer. We'll get to that text in a moment. Let's go to God inviting him to speak to us through the Holy Spirit uh, this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this uh, time of worship that we just experienced, just enjoyed, offering our hearts to you, raising and lifting our voices to you. And Lord, I pray right now that you would speak to us through the power of your spirit. As we look at scripture, Your spirit would bring the words alive in us. Lord, fill us today with your spirit. Fuel us. May we walk out of this building different than the way we walked in. We offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Over the past week, I've been reading Tim Keller's new book. Tim is a pastor, as many of you know, in, in Manhattan on prayer. And in the beginning of the book, he describes a very difficult season he had around 2001, where obviously our city uh, experienced 9-11, and our city was in a corporate uh, clinical depression, as he calls it. And during that time, not just in our city, in his personal life, there were some very challenging situations that occurred. His wife was struggling with Crohn's disease, and Tim himself was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And at one point in all this, in a very heavy season of their lives, his, his wife urged him to pray with her every night, every single night. And this was something that he says they had a hard time doing consistently. But his wife, Kathy, used an illustration that expressed her feelings. And this is what she said to him during their time of difficulty. She said these words. She said, imagine that you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine. Uh, She said, a pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. Well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. 
We have to pray. We can't let it just slip our mind. Now, this here is a profound statement because I, I think she gets to the heart and the importance of prayer because without a life of prayer, we're not going to make it. If there's anyone who understood this well, it was Jesus. Through the ministry of Jesus, he models for us a life of prayer, but Jesus in his ministry does all that he can to persuade his followers to have a life of prayer because he knows all too well that without prayer, we are not going to make it. We're not going to make it individually, and we're not going to make it together as a church family. And so in our text today, there's an invitation to life, an invitation to a good life, a beautiful life, a a powerful life, a life that's anchored in prayer. And in our text this morning, we have one of the most staggering statements in the Bible. And if this statement is true, this word, these words of Jesus should produce great hope in us. And at the same time, it should produce great conviction in us as well. In Matthew chapter seven, beginning of verse number seven, hear the word of the Lord. This is what Jesus speaks to you today, this first Sunday of 2015. And this is what he says to you. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. This is the best way to start 2015. When we pick up on our text, Jesus is finishing up his sermon. Actually, it's the most important sermon ever given. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus gives a manifesto of the kingdom of God. He wants to let us know how our lives should line up when it's anchored under his leadership, anchored under his rulership in his kingdom. And essentially, Jesus is saying this, if you belong to me, if you follow me, your life is going to look like this. And so Jesus talks about many things in this sermon. He talks about anger. He talks about money. He talks about adultery. He talks about enemies. He talks about a prayer. And in the chapter before Jesus, his disciples ask him a curious question. They ask Jesus, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? Now, this is a very uh, uh, surprising question they would ask because as young Jewish men, they would have grown up learning how to pray. They would have grown up memorizing prayers, many memorizing the first five books of the Bible. And so when they went to Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? They were saying something very significant. They were saying, we've seen our rabbis and we've seen our parents pray, but the way you pray is different. You have a life to your prayer. There is a power to your prayer. Can you teach us how to pray like that? And to which Jesus teaches them and teaches us the Our Father. And Jesus says, okay, when you pray, pray like this or pray these words. And then he tells us what we should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. And for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever. Jesus teaches them the words they are to say. But now what Jesus does is very interesting. Earlier on, he teaches 
teaches them what to pray. Now Jesus is teaching them how to pray or how, what their heart should look like when they pray these words. And this is significant because Jesus knows that we could have the right words with the wrong heart. And if you have the right words with the wrong heart, we're just babbling to God. We're just taking up space. We're just wasting time. And so Jesus wants to give us the right words, but he also wants to give us the right approach, the right heart. And so Jesus begins to instruct us to pray. Actually, as Dale Bruner has said, a New Testament uh, theologian, he said, it's almost as if Jesus is begging us to pray. Because he knows the promises that are going to come. He knows the power that's available. Jesus is begging you to pray in 2015 because he knows that if you get to what he's talking about here, your life will be changed. Your life will be transformed. And so Jesus gives us the heart of prayer, the approach to prayer. And he does it with three very simple words. Ask, seek, knock. Now, what makes this passage noteworthy is the unconditional nature of its promises because these promises are shockingly open-ended. Jesus doesn't ask for what? Jesus doesn't say. Seek what? He's silent. Knock where? He doesn't say anything. It's, It's like ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. All he's saying is if you do these things, God will respond. Now, the words that Jesus uses here, it's really important that we know that that these are not just one time words that we just ask once, we seek once, we knock once. Typically what we do is if we ask, if we seek, and if we knock and the door doesn't open, we're breaking through a window. We're getting in somehow. We're going to figure out a way to get inside the door. That's not what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, in the original language, it's in the, it's in the continual form, the present tense continual. And so when Jesus is really saying is this, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And he says, if we do this, God will respond. Now, parenthetically, it's important to mention a couple of things because this, this, this passage gives us a lot of problems. Or we sense, I imagine there's some resistance in the room when you hear this passage here. Because the question that we wrestle with is, does God really answer our prayers? And from experience, we know that there are certain requests that are not always granted. You've prayed to have a particular job, but you didn't get the job. You prayed for someone to get healed. They didn't get healed. I prayed for my New York sports team. They seem to get worse. It it seems (laughs) as if God does not hear our prayers. Sometimes it doesn't feel like God has. It reminds me a couple of maybe seven years ago or so, I was in Prospect Park in Brooklyn, and it was a, a winter day. It was snowing, and I was about 15 other guys playing a football game. And we were about to play some football, and before we prayed, maybe half of them were not even Christian, and uh, they knew I was like a pastor. And so they said, Rich, can you pray for us? Can you just pray that we would be okay? You know? And so I said, I'll, I'll pray. Let's, let's, let's say we got in the circle. I prayed. And because I know these, many of them were not Christian, I'm giving like a sermon in my prayer. 
prayer, you know, just, and Lord, forgive him, and then all the sins, you're a God of grace, and so I'm for spitting all the prayers that I can in there, but I end the prayer really with a prayer of protection. Lord, I pray that we would be free from all harm, no injury, everyone at the end of the game will be fine. In the name of Jesus, amen. The non-Christian said, amen, and the very first play of the game. I kid you not. We said, hike. I went out to catch the ball. The guy throws me the ball. I turn this way. The ball, cold, hits me right in my thumb. I immediately have to go to Methodist Hospital because there's a significant sprain. I'm saying, Lord, I just prayed for injury-free sports. You could at least gotten the non-Christian. He's not even praying. I'm praying to you, and I'm getting injured. Something's not right here. Sometimes it feels as if God doesn't answer our prayers. And when our, an- or our prayers are not answered, we are tempted to think that prayer doesn't Work, But I want to say this, that many times when God doesn't answer our prayers, it's a good thing. When God doesn't answer, it's it's a good thing. I love what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said that we will spend most of eternity thanking God for prayers he didn't answer. (laughs) There will come a time in your life where you would say, Lord, thank you for not letting me marry that person. (laughs) Thank you. 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 You know, you, you... a lot of testifying in the room today. Just let <laughs> thank you, Lord, for not letting me get that job. Or thank you, Lord, for whatever. We will thank, we will spend eternity thanking God for prayers He didn't answer. But beyond this, this verse is hard for people because at one point or another. We have prayed for something that we really believed was the will of God. And it wasn't answered. And those experiences can easily convince us not to pray as Jesus instructs us here. But this is what I want to say. We live in an already not yet age. And so the kingdom of God is here already, but the kingdom of God is not fully here. Which means people get healed and sometimes people will remain sick. Sometimes there's provision in a way that's miraculous. Sometimes it doesn't come in the way that we were anticipating. We are, it's already, but it's not yet. And so there are times where something doesn't happen, but this is what I, I want you to hear, hear me say this in 2015, that just because you might have had experiences of the not yet, I don't want that to color the experiences that God wants you to have already. That there's some stuff that's available for you right now. And Jesus is begging you. You probably have bad experiences where a prayer wasn't answered. And yet Jesus is still saying, keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking. What Jesus is inviting us to do is to persevere in prayer, that our lives would be marked by perseverance. And so Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. Now, what I want to suggest is when Jesus uses those three words, he's not necessarily talking about three different things. He's talking about one thing, and he's saying it in three different ways. In the original language, the words ask, seek, and knock actually are all one word in Greek, which speaks to the simplicity of prayer. 
And what Jesus wants us to do is, is to persevere in prayer. And that doesn't mean that we pray for long periods of time, but it means that we're praying virtually all the time. That our lives are in communion with God throughout our days. And Jesus has to take this, the time with this kind of detail because Jesus knows something about his disciples and he knows something about us. Jesus knows that our lives are not marked by a perseverance in prayer. As Jesus mentioned earlier, there were two ways that people prayed, two, two particular ways that people prayed. They, people prayed superstitiously and they prayed super religiously. The pagans prayed superstitiously, thinking that if I can, I can manipulate God with some magical formula to get him to do what I want him to do. The religious leaders were praying super spiritual, hyper spiritual prayers, using all of this fancy lingo and fancy language, trying to get God to do the, for them what, God, they, what they wanted to do. What Jesus says, I want, he's calling us to simplicity. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. He wants prayer to be a natural pursuit that flows out of our lives. And this is our biggest problem. Because I'd submit that most of our prayers are unprayed. That's another way of saying that we don't spend much time in prayer. And when you couple this with this amazing promise, it's really sad. Actually, one of the most haunting passages, this this passage haunts me from time to time, flows out of the book of James chapter 4, verse 2, where where James says these words. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God, or you have not because you ask not. What a haunting passage that God says, I have stuff, I I have life for you, I have something for you, but you never asked me. You're too busy trying to figure it out yourself. And he says, that I, I, have, I have a life for, I, I, have, I want to give you. And yet, we don't ask. And so one of the biggest obstacles of prayer is our wishes never become our prayers. And the question I've been wrestling is, why don't we ask? Why do we have a hard time asking and keep on asking? As I've been looking at my life and, and, and conversations with new lifers and other people, really, I've, I've narrowed it down. There are three reasons why typically we don't ask. Well, first of all, we don't ask because of self-reliance. And this might be the biggest problem we have. We want to figure it out ourselves. We, I, I, I don't want to ask. And we have a hard time asking God and we have a hard time asking people. Many, many, people, many of you in this room have a hard time asking someone for a little bit of help because it's going to make me feel weak. And so I'll figure it out myself. Do you need help with the groceries? No, it's okay, but there's a vein sticking out of your neck. You look like you can need some help with some... No, 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 I'm fantastic. I'm I'm, I'm fantastic. And there's this self-reliance that I want to do it myself. I read an ABC News article recently about something along these lines about uh, an old stereotype about men that this report says might be true. It's about men refusing to ask for directions. And the report said that the average male drives an extra 276 miles every year as a result of being lost. That's the distance from New York to Virginia, okay? As a result of being lost. And then it said this. More than one out of four men, 26%, wait at least a half an hour before asking 
for directions. No wonder we're logging all of these miles. You know, we're just, we're just waiting to ask for directions. Why don't we ask? Because I want to figure it out myself. I don't want to come across weak. I'm going to rely on myself. We don't ask because of self-reliance. We also don't ask because, to be frank, we don't want to be a nag. Maybe many of you grew up uh, where asking was frowned upon, where your parents said, stop asking. Or you had to learn to do things by yourself because, you know, you didn't want to be a nag. And, and, and many people, we refuse help, not because we don't want the help, but because we're afraid that we're going to come across as a nuisance. And so we don't ask. But that's not how it works with God. That's how it works with us. But it doesn't work that way with God. Last night, I was uh, after dinner, before dinner, I went to do a little grocery shopping and Rosie texted me and said, hey, Karis asked if you can pick her up a little bit of vanilla ice cream, one of those little things. And so I said, okay, I'll pick up vanilla ice cream for Karis. She rarely eats ice cream and so let's, let's get her some ice cream. And so I walk into the house with the groceries and, and she meets me at the door and she says, uh, did you get me ice cream? And I said, yes, I got you ice cream. I said, when, after you eat all your dinner, we will have some ice cream. And she goes, yes, she's excited. She's celebrating. We eat our meal as a family. She finishes her food before everyone. And after she finishes, it must have been six seconds after she swallowed, she said, can I have some ice cream? And I said, can I finish my food first, uh, Karis? Just, just, just give me a second. And so I'm at my last, she sees that I'm at my last bite on the plate there. And she sees that there's no more food. She goes, can I have some ice cream now? And, and I said, Karis, just give me a moment. At this, at this moment, there's some smoke coming out of my ears. Just, just, <laughs> just, just give me, a, just give me, let me bring my plate to the kitchen. And so I walk over there and she's following me right behind me. <laughs> and I put the blade. She goes, he goes, can I have some ice cream now? And I said, Karis, in a moment, at this point, I said, just give me one moment to breathe. Give me a moment. And maybe, it must have been maybe 10 seconds later, she's just standing like waiting what to say. And then she says it, it might have been the seventh time. She goes, can I have some ice cream? And I said, nobody's getting ice cream. Nobody. You're not getting ice cream. I've had enough. And I, all of a sudden, and she's like, I'm Everybody's going to bed early. Rosie's going to bed. Everybody's going to bed. No ice cream for nobody. Has anyone experienced that before? Is that just, oh, I thought it was just me just going crazy like this. Many times we feel like that's how God is with us. That God has... How many times are you going to ask me for that prayer? But but that's not how God is. That's how we are. But that's not how God is. There's actually a a rabbinic saying that gets to the core of this, and it's beautiful. And and here are these words of this rabbinic saying. It says, a person is annoyed by being pestered by the request of his friends or children, but with God. All the time a person puts their needs and requests before him, God loves them all the more. It's like the father saying, ask me again. And when we ask him again, he loves us all the more. I'm doing this to Karis. God is saying, ask me again. Isn't that beautiful? So Jesus is begging us to, Jesus is begging you to pray. He's saying, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Knocking. 
We don't pray because of our self-reliance. We don't pray because we don't want to come across as a, as a nag. But we also don't pray because, truthfully, we're skeptical of God. Many of us have been so disappointed by requests that we asked of God that he didn't answer, that we've given up on asking altogether. And we've concluded God doesn't love me. We've concluded God doesn't care about me. And so we're skeptical of the love of the Father towards us. And so Jesus understands all this, and to get his disciples to boldly ask, to boldly seek, to boldly knock, Jesus, he takes us into the kitchen. And he presents an image of a family at the table. And he does all this because he wants to convince us of something. And so this is what Jesus says. He says, ask and keep on knocking, seek, uh, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. And then he says, and this is why. And Jesus transports them to the kitchen, to the family dining room table. And this is what he says. He says, what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is making a startling contrast here. He's saying, you parents in the room, if your kid asks you for an egg, you're not giving them a scorpion. You're good. You know better than that. And and I want to tell you, the father is much better than you and has much more love than you. It is more good than you. So when Jesus says you are evil, he's not saying that the epitome of your soul is your evil. What he's saying is when you contrast your life with the goodness of the Father, the distance is so massive, it's like you're evil. And he's, what, what this, but his statement is, is more about God than it is about us. And Jesus is trying to convince the disciples of the extravagant love and the goodness of the Father. And I believe this is what Jesus spent most of his time doing. His most important and difficult task was to convince his disciples of the Father's extravagant love and goodness. And so here's Jesus saying, the Father loves you. The Father has good gifts for you. And this is what I want to tell you this morning. 2014 might have ended on a downward spiral for you, but the Father loves you. And the Father has good gifts for you. And life might not be unfolding the way you want it to unfold, but he loves you. And his love is extravagant. And his goodness is extravagant. So Jesus is begging us to pray. Jesus is saying, persevere, speak to the Father, ask, seek, knock. And Jesus is saying, because of the Father's love and goodness, you can live in this way. This is what he's saying. You don't have to live in a different way. The opposite of asking, seeking, and knocking would be taking, ignoring, or barging in. He's saying, you don't have to take and keep on taking. You don't have to ignore. You don't have to barge and keep on barging in. He's saying, the Father loves you, and the Father can do immeasurably above what you ask or think. This is, this is what I love what Red quoted, because we've seen this as a church family together. When Red just gave this announcement that we have received virtually in one month almost a million dollars, 
That's the Father saying to us, we've prayed to the Father and he said, I can do immeasurably more than you ask or think. And that's not just for us as a church family together. That's for you as an individual as well. The Father, if you just ask of him, if you seek him, if you know, he says, I have good gifts for you. Not just for us together, but for you individually. Regardless of your ups and downs, your hardships, your difficulty, the Father says, I have good gifts for you. And so Jesus calls us to a life of perseverance in prayer because the Father has something good waiting for us. And this is what begins to happen when we do what Jesus tells us to do. When we ask and keep on asking, when we seek and keep on seeking, When we knock and we keep on knocking, there's certain things that begins to happen in us. And let me just share a couple of them. When we begin to do these things, what begins to happen is our asking gets adjusted. Our asking gets adjusted. For some of you, you've been praying about praying over that one thing, over that one thing, over that one thing, over that one. Lord, when is this going to happen? When is he going to come? When is she going to say yes? When is all, all this thing? And all of a sudden you realize after, after you pray this for your prayer, you realize I don't need that. I don't need him. <laughs> I, I can, I can live my life with, with, I've lived my life enough with, I can live my, your prayers start getting adjusted. And what begins to happen is you realize your prayers were very self-serving. And, you, and all of a sudden, your, your prayers start aligning more with, with the will of the Father, where you're able to say, not my will be done, but your will be done. And when you ask and keep on asking, it's almost as if Jesus is purging us from those prayer requests that will ultimately do us harm and damage. And he's saying, if you ask and keep on asking, your prayer will get adjusted. And at some point you realize, I've been praying for all of this. I don't want it anymore. And it's God adjusting our prayers. When we ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, what also begins to happen is we don't spend our lives carrying burdens that we don't have to. The truth is, we spend our lives carrying burdens And if we go to the Father in prayer, all of a sudden, those burdens start coming off of us. This is why I love what Dale Bruner says. One of my favorite quotes that I come back to over and over. And this is what he says. He says, we tend to carry around heavy bundles of wishes that never become askings. We talk to ourselves about our problems in the form of much thought, worry, and sleeplessness. We might even talk about our problem with those close to us too, but even we Christians are strangely reluctant to talk about our problems with the Father. And here in this passage, Jesus opens the door of faith as widely as they will ever be opened again and promises a fruitful audience with the Father for the simple asking. So he's saying ask. Now, what I want you to notice, the asking, when when we ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knocking, it's not out of anxiety. It's not, Lord, please do this. Lord, please do this. Lord, please do this. And oh, it's, it's out of a, a place of trust, a centered trust of asking, a centered trust of seeking, a centered trust of knocking. And what begins to happen when we pray this prayer ultimately is this. When we persevere in this prayer, the best thing happens. We receive the life of God. God's life is poured into us. This is actually what Luke, the gospel writer, he says in his passage when he looks at Jesus' sermon here. 
Luke takes a, a different angle of what Jesus said, or it may be in a different context. And this is what he says. Luke says, quoting Jesus, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a steak instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven, and this is what he says, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now, I got to be honest. I used to read this verse, and I used to get really disappointed. Because I'm reading it, ask, yeah, oh yes, seek, okay, then what am I going to get? A new car, am I going to get a new car here? What am I going to get? And he goes, you will get the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking, ah, how about something a little more tangible? How about, how about something I could, I could, I could like, like, you know, I could play with, you know? And, and, and in recent months, I've, I looked at this passage again and say, this is the best gift I can get. The very life of God. And what begins to happen is this. When you ask and keep asking, your askings begin perhaps with a particular end in mind, a particular object, a particular thing. But in your asking, seeking, and knocking, what ends up happening is this. Because you persevere, God says, I give you my very life. And all of a sudden, what you are asking for doesn't matter anymore. Because you've already received the life of God. The, very, the peace of God, the joy of God, the love of God, the power of God, the strength of God, all the things that we really need in our lives. And so ask and keep asking. <laughs> Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. What I'd like us to do this week, we are gathering together as a church Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And we're gathering basically to do those three things, to ask, to seek, to knock to do it together as a church family. And listen, we, as, as Kathy Keller said in the beginning, without prayer, we're not going to make it. Without prayer, New Life Fellowship, we're not going to make it. And you're not going to make it. And so there's no better way to begin the year. I'm not a New Year's resolutions kind of guy. If you had one New Year's resolution, though, if it would be to have a life anchored in prayer, everything else would take care of itself. If your life was anchored in prayer, everything else will take care of itself. So I want to invite the worship team to come forward, and I want to give you a moment to ask God, to seek God, to knock. And here's my very simple question. Between services, some people say, I feel so guilty asking. And yet, again, the Father is saying to you today, I want you to ask, what are you asking God for? What are you hoping for this year in 2015? What's something that you're, you're really believing and hoping God is going to do? I want to give us about a minute or so. Just close your eyes for a moment. And because we come in the name of Jesus, we come in the righteousness of Jesus, we come with full access to God. And some of you might be saying, well, Rich, that, that prayer request is petty. Ah, that, that, I, I don't know if I should even ask that. Wherever you're at right now, if that's where you're at right now, ask it. And it begins to happen, if, that's not, if God wants to steer you in a different direction, he'll lead you in a different direction. But you can only start with where you're at. And so if it's massive, it's maybe for healing for a family member of cancer. Maybe it's that your child will get into a particular school. Maybe it's that you will get a new job. Maybe it's that you would meet someone this year. What is it? The father doesn't frown on you and say, well, you're asking for that. Jesus invites us to ask, to seek, and to knock. And so I want to give you a moment for you to speak directly to God. 
with your request, and then we'll go into communion together. Let's pause for a moment. all stand together. We come now to the table of communion. I want to invite the folks that are going to be giving out the bread and and the cup to come forward to your respective areas. And we come now to the table of grace. And this is the Father saying, I want you to have a meal with me. I want to give you good gifts. I want to give you my life. And so follow, you can follow the directions of the ushers down below and, and up top. And what I'd like you to do, especially if you're new here, is our custom is to take it together. And so take bread, dip it in the cup, and go back to your seat and just hold it before God. And maybe you want to remember that God has given you every, he's giving you his life. Jesus Christ, broken and bruised on the cross for you. And God did not spare his own son. How much more he will, will he freely give you all things if he'd not spare his own son? And we're wondering, should I ask for that? And the father gave you his son. And you can come back together. I'll lead us together in a time of repentance and confession. And we'll take the bread and, uh, that's been dipped in the cup together. And so, Father, thank you for your extravagant love for us. Lord, I can only smile up here just knowing the ways that you look upon your people today with with goodness and with mercy and with grace, covering our sins, forgiving us of our past, our present, and our future. Thank you for your love, Father. And as we come to the table of grace, we come not in our name, we come in your name. We come not in our righteousness, but in your righteousness. We come not in our performance, but in your performance. Lord, I pray that as we take bread, the simple act of taking bread, dipping it in the cup, would we have an encounter with your grace and love? We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. I want to give us a moment of repentance before God. And the beautiful thing as we talk about every time we take communion is we come to the table on grace. And it is his grace and kindness that leads us to repentance. And it's really important, everybody. You don't... You don't repent, and then he says, okay, I give you grace. He says, I give you grace, and that's supposed to cause you to repent and to change your ways. And I don't know about you, but there's one thing that I know I need to repent of, and it's everything Jesus invited us to do. I need to repent of all the ways I don't ask and seek and knock. 
And I say no to this invitation to a life of power, a life of joy and peace that flows from communion with God. So I want to give us just a moment of our own private confession before God. And then we'll pray this prayer of confession as a family together. Because we're all in it together. That's why we pray it together. But you want to just close your eyes right now and just offer your own repentance and confession before God. Let's pray this prayer of confession as a family together. God of all mercy, we confess that we have sinned against you, opposing your will in our lives. We have denied your goodness in each other, in ourselves, and in the world you have created. We repent of the evil that enslaves us, the evil we have done, and the evil done on our behalf. Forgive, restore, and strengthen us through our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we may abide in your love and serve only your will. Amen. Let's all take together. Amen. I want to invite our prayer team to come forward to my right. And we end every time with an opportunity for folks that would like to receive prayer to receive it. And some of you may be at a place right now, you're in a difficult season. Maybe 2014 ended on a downward spiral for you. And you wanted to begin 2015 with a sense of the assurance that God is with you. This is why we have our prayer team to pray for you, that God would do everything in you that you can't do in yourself. And this is a miracle of grace. Just ask, seek, and knock. This is the miracle of the Holy Spirit filling us. But what we can do is make ourselves available and say, Lord, I'm making myself available for you to fill me with your life so that my life will be marked by asking, seeking, and knocking. You can come for whatever you like, for healing, for encouragement, for assurance, whatever you need, wherever you're at, God is here to meet you. And our prayer team will be here as well. And as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And if you're new here, the reason we close every gathering like this is because this is a posture of receiving. And when you ask, you're essentially positioning yourself to receive, to receive good gifts that the Father wants to give you. And so on this last sun, on this first Sunday of 2015, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with a greater urgency to ask, to seek, and to knock. And may God surprise you this week in ways you aren't expecting. May the Father give you good gifts. 
And may you have eyes to see the gifts that the Father longs to give you today. And so I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the good name of Jesus and the people of God said, amen. Grace and peace, everybody.